Hey there, and welcome to the Restoration Living Podcast. My name is James Johnson, and I am excited that you have chosen to spend time with us today. The goal of this podcast is to show that God's heart for each of us is to come back home to Him in order for us to experience a restoration of peace, joy, and growth in our lives. We do this by digging deep into God's Word in order to find timeless truths that we can apply in our lives today. So let's get out our Bibles and take another step down this path of restoration living together. When I was a young kid, I can remember when we would be in church services and it would be time for the offering to take place that as the offering plate was being passed around, my mom would hand me an envelope with, I guess, money or a check in it. I don't know, but it was ever something in it. And she would let me put it in the plate. And I used to ask, and I remember being a, a kid asking all these questions, and I remember asking, why do we do that? Why do we give money to the church, right? In my mind, church is where you came to receive. Why are we giving? And I didn't understand why in the world would God want our money? You know, if God is so big and God is so great and God can create galaxies in my child's mind, I didn't understand why God would ask something of us. It's kind of like, in my mind, it was like Bill Gates or Elon Musk asking me to borrow $5, right? Like, why in the world, when you have all of this wealth and resources, do you need my $5? It's just a drop in the bucket. And that was the way I viewed God with this idea of why in the world does God make us give? And when I asked my mom, I remember her telling me, because it's God's command. God commands us to give. And as I got a little older in Sunday school, I learned about the tithe. And as I looked in the Law of Moses and you know Deuteronomy and you know the book of Leviticus and places like that where it explains the 613 rules within the Law of Moses, one of those is to give 10% of your first fruits. That means that as you harvest your crops of whatever kind, whether that's fruit from an orchard or a, or a vineyard, whether it is the vegetables that you produce, whether it's the animals that you grow, that you give the best of the first things that you got to God. And I understand that's the command. But as I got a little older, I still wrestled with that. And I was like, why? You know, we sang songs about mansions in heaven and streets of gold. And I thought, God, if you've got enough gold to pave your streets with it, why do you need 10% of my stuff? Especially as a teenager and I got my first job, I remember the frustration of making $5 an hour. And man, for every $100 I earned, I, you know, have to give $10 of that 100 to God through the offering. I remember that's, that's, you know, when they made $5 an hour, man, that's two hours worth of work in my mind, kind of like wasted. right? And that was just my selfishness. But in my, as I grew in spiritual maturity, I began to understand things as a child. It didn't make sense. And so my mom told me, hey, it's God's command. That, that was the simple answer for a child. As I got more mature, I understood that God used the tithe 
to provide for the people that worked in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple, that this was to pay for the Levites, the, the priestly tribe of Israel, that they did not have time to grow their own crops and to make their own stuff and to you know raise their own herds. And so they lived off of the gifts of the people. The gift was not going to God. God doesn't need my money. It doesn't go in God's bank account for him to spend. But the food that was being offered to him didn't go into God's refrigerator or God's pantry for him to eat from. It went to the people that worked for God. And I understood the application of that in a, a more mature mindset as a teenager. It's like, oh, well, that's how pastors get paid. That's how ministers, worship leaders, that's how people that work in ministry get a salary, how they get their paycheck is by the gifts and donations, the tithes and offerings of people. But this still didn't sit well with me because as I got older, I realized, man, there are plenty of organizations that pay for ministry that don't depend on people's donations as a, you know, a person that works as a hospital chaplain now in the role that I'm at in now where I, I supervise a spiritual care department at a behavioral health clinic. We don't depend on, of course, we take donations. We're a not-for-profit organization, and we can be a charitable giving space for people that want to make donations. But my income is not based off the giving of others. So why do we still have the church? There's something bigger than this. And this is why as we begin to mature in the faith, we can begin seeking after what we call the deeper teachings. Now, we don't call them deeper teachings because they're hidden. It's not like we believe in occult ideas where, you know, or Gnostic teachings where there's deeper, special teaching only reserved for a select few, like the ancient mysteries kind of mentality. That's not what we mean by deeper teaching. We mean that as you mature, you can dig deeper into God's Word and you can understand deeper levels to why God does things. So instead of thinking of it as in hidden, as in deeper, think like, like an occult idea of revealing something, think of it like a, a person who's learning to swim. When my girls were, were little, they could only swim on the surface. In the beginning, we used floats and I would hold them and my wife and I would pass them back and forth. And as they learned to swim, they swam on the surface. But as they got stronger, we began to encourage them, hey, swim under the water. You know, hold your breath and take, you know, strides and be able to swim across the pool under the water. But as they got even more mature and stronger in their swimming ability, I helped show them how to go deeper to the deep end of the pool to when we would go to the springs and the beaches and stuff, we could swim deep and see the things that were further down. And now that they're mature, I mean, uh, we were blessed a few years ago to get to go to Hawaii and some of our army friends were there that took us, you know, di you know diving with, you know, snorkeling, right? But learning how to dive deep and using the fins and the tools to the weight belt to go down you know, 16, 20, 30 feet that our girls could swim down and they were mature enough in their swimming ability to do that. That's what we do in our faith. We grow and we can understand deeper concepts that are not hidden. They're just not understandable until you get to a certain point. They're not accessible until you can wrap your brain around certain things. Why am I saying all of this? Because in our faith, as we grow in maturity, we begin to see the why behind the what. Why does God give us certain commandments? God did not give us a commandment to give because he wants our stuff. God gives us a command to give because he wants our heart. You see, 
this series that we're we're going to start with this whole process of, of the idea of the the idea of why do we give brings us to the laws of God. When God created the universe, the heavens and the earth, he created them to operate on design principles, that God is the designer of the things we can see and the things we can't see. And the seen and the unseen worlds all have systems that govern them, that God is all about balance and God creates systems. So think about some of the laws that we know of. We know about the law of gravity that there is a force on our planet that causes things that have mass and weight to go fall to the ground. If I take a marker or a pen and I hold it out and I drop it, we know it's going to fall to the ground. Why? Because of the law of gravity. We know about in in um, when we talk about how things work as far as in time and space, we know of the the third law of thermodynamics says that all things go from order to disorder. Things fall apart. If you build a home and you don't upkeep it over time, the home will break down. Our bodies over time, especially if we don't take care of them, they break down. Right? It's called the law of entropy. Right? The third law of thermodynamics says that all things go from order to disorder. Things fall apart. Those are natural laws. We also know there are other laws. There's philosophical laws. For example, in, when you talk about logic, there's the law of con non-contradiction, meaning that something can't be true and false at the same time. If I meet someone that their spouse, the husband says they're pregnant, and then I talk to the wife and she says, no, I'm not pregnant. They both can't be telling the truth. She either is pregnant or she is not. And we know that the law of non-contradiction shows us that and helps us to find truth. So there are philosophical and laws of reason, but there are also spiritual laws. And in God's design, there are 17 major laws. And in this series, we're not going to cover all 17 of them, but we're going to cover some of the big spiritual laws that we don't talk about. In school, you and I learned about the law of gravity, especially if you went to public school, right? You learned about natural laws. But I've been in church my whole life. And there are very few times where I can think of somebody teaching me spiritual laws. And these laws matter. So the first spiritual law we're going to learn today is the law of love, the law of love. And that connects to where we're talking about giving of tithes and offerings because the law of love says that everything that lives gives. Everything that lives gives. And Dr. Tim Jennings, in his writings and his ministry, he talks about the 17 laws that God has created. And this is where I'm, I'm pulling a lot of this information from. So I want to make sure I, I'm a good you know, academic and I cite my sources that a lot of this comes from Dr. Jennings' work. And I encourage you read a lot of his books. Go to his, his, his ministry website, Come and Reason Ministries. And he's written tons of great books. Could it be this simple, the God-shaped brain, the God-shaped heart, among many others that I'm pulling a lot of this information from. But the law of love says that everything that lives gives. Everything that God has created that is a living thing gives. Let me give you an example. Speaking of giving, I'll give you an example. As a human being, I take in oxygen and I give back carbon dioxide. As a result, God has created the design of the planet so that the plants breathe in and take in, right? They don't necessarily breathe, but they take in carbon dioxide and they give back oxygen. And as a result, we have a cycle. I breathe in the oxygen, breathe out the carbon dioxide. The plants take in the carbon dioxide and give off 
oxygen. And we have a cycle of giving, and by giving, we both live. I live, and the plant lives. It's a cycle that God has created. But what if I become selfish? You see, the very heart, the nature of what we call sin in the Christian world, in the church language that we use, the heart, the the core essence of sin is selfishness. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, they genetically corrupted our humanity, and every generation that has ever lived since Adam and Eve have been born into selfishness, with the exception of Jesus, right, because of his divine nature, everyone else was born into selfishness. Think about a baby when they're born, or from the moment they come into even existence in their mother's womb. When we were babies in our mother's womb, we took, we're selfish, we took from the umbilical cord, we took nutrients, we took, you know, blood, we took, you know, oxygen so we could survive. And once we came out of our mother's womb into the world, we cry for selfish reasons. Cry, cry, why, why, why? Feed me, burp me, change me, make me happy. And we are born into this sinful, selfish nature that is transmitted genetically from every generation until the next, until God sets everything right in the world again and gives us new bodies and gives us a new nature through his Holy Spirit. So when we disrupt the cycle of giving, when we break the law of love, death happens. When God's founding principle of the world, of the universe, is the law of love, that everything that lives gives. What if I become selfish and I stop giving my carbon dioxide? Let's assume that I were to take a plastic bag and say, I want to keep all of my carbon dioxide. I'm going to put a bag over my head and tie it tight, and I'm going to keep all the carbon dioxide for myself. And if I don't give the carbon dioxide, what begins to happen? I begin to die because I'm not taking in any more oxygen. My brain will lose oxygen and brain damage will happen. My, my blood will not become reoxygenated, so my limbs will die. I mean, if you cut off the circulation to your limbs, decay begins to happen. When I cut my oxygen supply off because I refuse to give that carbon dioxide, I'm going to die. What's going to happen to the plants? If I stop giving carbon dioxide to them and I keep it to myself, the plant dies. You see, everything that lives gives. When we stop giving, we stop living, and the opposite of living is death. That when life stops, death takes place. And so everything that lives gives, and we see that God's entire universe is built on this. Think about the water cycle, and there's tons and tons of examples, but this is one we're all familiar with. As I record this podcast, it's raining outside. The clouds that God has created in the water cycle, the clouds give rain. When the water collects in the clouds, in the sky, and they become too heavy with moisture, rain falls and lands on the ground. And it soaks into the ground and goes into underground rivers and aquifers, or they, they flow into ponds, lakes, rivers, streams, and eventually back into the ocean. And over time, whether it goes underground, whether it goes on surface water, whatever, it eventually evaporates. And what happens? It becomes steam. It becomes water vapor into the air. And because heat rises, that moisture comes up into the clouds where it collects again until it rains. And it's a cycle. But what would happen if the water cycle were to be broken? Lakes and rivers would dry up. Water creatures would die. We would not have access to water and we would die. And the earth would die and decay. Why? Because the 
world was created to have a cycle of giving. Everything that lives gives. This is why God wants us to be givers so that we can grow and develop spiritually. But what happens when we stop? And today, <clears throat> please forgive me, I normally love to just find one passage and camp in it. That's just the way I, I prefer to teach. I think it makes more sense to stay anchored to one passage. But today I'm going to have to break that pattern and do a little bit of jumping around. So let's start in the book of Malachi, chapter 3. And in the Christian Bible, Malachi is the last prophetic writing in the Old Testament. And we placed Malachi's writing last because it ends with the promise of the Messiah that, that God was going to send the spirit of Elijah you know, in, you know, in a person, right? He said, I'm going to send you Elijah. And we know that, that while he wasn't reincarnated, that's not what I mean by sending the spirit, that the idea of being a forerunner, Elijah, came through the idea and the, you know, in, in the person of John the baptizer and he made a way for the Messiah to come in Jesus but he says this in chapter 3 he says look I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way for me and he says that as he as all of this happens you know he talks about how you know God's going to judge and refine you know like a refiner refines silver and gets the dross off the top and refines silver that they heat silver and the impurities float to the top and they skim that off. Those impurities are called a dross and they remove that. And God says in verse 3 that through the prophet Malachi, he, God, will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, those are the priests, refining them like gold and silver so they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. And he goes on and, and people say, you know, how will we fail to obey you? And then we skip down to verse 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. And he says this in verse 9. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Verse 10, bring all of the tithes into my storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is one of the few times where God says to test him. Normally God says, don't test the Lord your God. But God actually says, test me in this. Try me. If you start giving you're going to start receiving. Now, this teaching is very easily corruptible by selfish and flawed false teachers. Now, sometimes they do it out of bad tradition, but most of the time this gets corrupted by people that want to say, look, give your money to my ministry because God says if you give to me, you will receive more. And he gives all of these blessings and says, see, if you give, then God will give you back more in return. That's not what God is promising here. God is not saying that, see, if you donate $100 to you know, James Johnson Ministries Incorporated, then I'm going to give you $1,000 in return. See, it's a, it's a perfect investment. You should always give to the church, and you'll get hundreds of times more than what you started. That's not the promise. The promise is that if you give, you will be blessed. Why? Because everything that lives, gives. When people stopped giving to God, God didn't want their stuff. God wanted their hearts. And we know this is something God looks at because if you were to skip 
to, you know, way over to the New Testament, you would see why Jesus calls the religious leaders hypocrites. In Matthew 23, in verse 23, he says this, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. A hypocrite is somebody that, that in their day they were actors that wore masks to play multiple parts in a play because most people couldn't afford to be an actor professionally. And so actors would hold like five or six masks behind their back and they would put on different masks when they were playing different characters. And Jesus is calling these religious leaders hypocrites saying that you act one way but you're really another underneath. He says, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of law, justice, mercy, and faith. He's saying that, that you're, you're getting the, the, the rules and you're following the rules that say you should tithe, but you're missing the point. The point is to bring justice, mercy, and faith. When I'm a giver, I live and I grow and develop in my faith so that I can develop justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus goes on to say, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What's more important than giving money? Having the right heart. You see, when we give, it's, it's yes, people in the church are taken care of. As a guy, I used to be an associate pastor. I am thankful for the giving of other people, right? Because that paid my paycheck and took care of our family. But that's not the real reason. That's a surface reason. Like the, the, the child's maturity says we should give because God commands it. The next step in maturity says we should give because it provides for others, especially those in ministry. But the deeper and more mature understanding is that God wants us to give because he's a giver and he wants us to give so that we become like him so we would grow and we would thrive and we would live because everything that lives gives. Look at what happens. Flip back some chapters. and I apologize for jumping around, but go with me to, to 1 Samuel chapter 16 when Samuel is selecting the next king of Israel. God leads him to the family of Jesse and Samuel looks at all of these good-looking, strong, muscular, you know, very earthly, you know, mindset that he has to look at the outside. He's looking at their appearance. He's saying he wants to find someone that looks like a king. But God tells him this in, in chapter 16. If you go down to verse 7, it says... But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Talking about one of David's brothers. He said, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what Jesus was doing to the religious leaders of his day. He was looking at their hearts. He said, on the outside, you're, you're doing great things. In that same chapter we just read, he says that you're like, you know, a cup that you've cleaned the outside of, but you haven't cleaned the inside. If, if I take a cup and I, and I just put soap and water on the outside, but I don't sanitize the inside, eventually germs are going to grow and I'm going to make myself sick. Because I don't drink fluid from the outside of the cup. I drink from the inside, from what's on the inside of the cup. That's what really matters. And in the same way, God looks at our hearts because he wants us to give because when we have a healthy heart, we grow and develop and thrive. And when we're givers, we start living. Everything that lives gives. And when we start keeping for selfish reasons, and I say, you know what? I'm not going to give my money to the church. I'm not going to support ministries. I'm not going to take care of other people. Then I begin to experience spiritual decay and death 
and I begin to focus on selfishness, and selfishness always leads to death. That spiritually I will break down the same way I would physically break down if I stopped giving carbon dioxide so I could receive oxygen. That I have to give to others so that I can also receive from others. I give to God in the cycle of giving. You see, Jesus promised us that, that we should give so that we would receive on our heart level. You see, the promise of the televangelist who wants, to, you, wants you to enrich their ministry is the promise of earthly wealth and prosperity. God does not promise earthly wealth and prosperity. He promises that he will supply our needs out of his riches and glory, right? The Apostle Paul wrote that. But he says that God will give us the things we need, not the things we want. You see, this idea of the heart is further accentuated by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He's writing about a collection that he is making for the poor people in Jerusalem. At this time, you know, the, the church was being kicked out of the synagogues. The Jews were separating themselves from Christians, and persecution on the Christians was starting to happen. And a lot of Christians in the early church were living in poverty. We've talked about that before. So Paul tells them that they should give generously, and he says this, Verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. For when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Verse 13, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ and they will pray for you with deep affection because of your the overflowing grace God has given to you. You see, it's this cycle of giving. We give to help others and then they give in return and maybe they don't give physical things. Maybe they give prayer. Maybe they give encouragement. Maybe they build ministries. And then God blesses us in return. This is why Jesus said that it's better to give than to receive because when we give, our heart thrives. So what do we do with this? We have to recognize that selfishness leads to death and giving leads to life. Now we balance this, right? I don't have to give all of my money away. God does not want us to live in poverty because I would be a bad parent and, and, and would not be preparing for the future. One day, as I get older, if God allows my wife and I to live a long earthly life, then we will need a retirement one day because we won't always be able to work a job. So we need to save for retirement. We need to save for the things of our home. Eventually our home will break down. That's the, once again, the third law of thermodynamics in effect, that our house will need repairs. Appliances will need replacing. Vehicles will need to be upkept and tires and all that. Children need braces and health care. One day our girls will need to go to college. And all of these things need preparation for. So we don't give everything away, but we do live generously. In other episodes on this podcast, we've talked about the T3 challenge of our time, talent, and treasure. But why does God want us to give? He says we've been blessed so we can be a blessing, but this is a deeper, more mature understanding, is that everything that lives gives. And God's universal law for all of creation is the law of love. And love gives. Love is unselfish. And so as we look at, I mean, I mean consider the, the, the love chapter in you know, 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, love does, you know, is, is long-suffering. It doesn't keep a record of wrong. Those are all acts of 
giving, love never fails. That passage talks about all of these things are things we give. Now, we don't give to receive, but by giving, we do receive. We don't give out of selfishness. We give out of selflessness, but then we receive in return. You see, one of the things that God wants us to do is to give with a cheerful heart. That passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 we just read, Paul says in a different passage in that chapter, he says that everyone should give what they've made up in their heart to do because God loves a cheerful giver. It's a heart thing. So why do we give? Why do we tithe? Why does God command us to be givers? Because God knows that he's built the principle of this world and the universe and all of creation on the law of love. That's the first law, spiritual law, that we are looking at in this series. And so I don't know about you, but in my life, I I wonder how often my heart has been in the right place. A lot of times I've given out of a sense of duty. It's a command of God, so I have to do it. But you see, when I give, I live. Now think about this. Imagine that you and I were under the water and I began to not be able to breathe because I was so far under that I would want to give up this breath I've held in my body eventually so that I could come to the surface and receive again so that I could live. What's that feeling when I've been holding my breath for a long time? Especially if you've been like underwater and you can't you know, breathe in water, of course, without dying. And so you swim to the surface and you have let all your air out and you can breathe in again. That life that you feel, that's what God wants us to feel, feel in our hearts by giving. Whether it's giving of our time, our talent, or our treasure, when we give, we also receive because it's a cycle. Everything that lives gives, but when we stop giving, that's when we die. So what's the state of your spirit today? What's the state of your heart? Are you a cheerful giver? Am I a cheerful giver? Not because I want to receive, not because I have some selfish promise of of having things poured back into me, but God's law is love. Everything that lives gives. And we see that in the natural world, but we even more importantly see it in the spiritual world. So may we be cheerful givers. May we be givers because that's the heart of God. But on a deeper level, may we be givers so that we would grow and develop and truly live because everything that lives gives. So that's my encouragement for you this week as we start this series. I pray that this enlightens you, helps you develop, and helps you grow so that we would be blessed. So until next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We pray that God uses it to inform your mind, improve your life, and ignite your heart with a renewed passion to impact others for the kingdom of God. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue along with us on this journey of restoration living.